If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to Zechariah in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets, and let's go to chapter 12. And so for the next three weeks, I want to look at uh, Zechariah chapter 12, and then next week, chapter 13, and then chapter 14. But we want to look at this topic. Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. So this morning, part one. If you know me, and the ministry here at Calvary Chapel, we like to teach book studies. And as we have gone through the Gospel of John, and now we come into the book of Acts, and I like to go from chapter 1 to the conclusion. And basically, we do try to do a chapter a week. If not, we break it down. But eventually, we get to the end of the book. And then when we get through uh, with the book of Acts, my intentions are to go into the book of Romans. But there's times in, in my life, especially when I'm praying and when I'm seeking God, and I just keep getting this same message over and over. And just watching what's going on in the world, watching what's going on in our country, and then now in our own community. There's this big push right now of dividing Jerusalem. There is this big push right now of making a Palestinian state that all belongs to God. And so the book of Zechariah is very familiar to me and is very important to me. And so when you come to the conclusion of the book of Zechariah, it's such a prophetic book. And he speaks about the end times. And we have to know and understand that Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. Now, you've heard me share many times. Mary and I have four girls, and we love them all the same. But there's always that one. When I was growing up, I was uh, the first child. And so there was a special place for me. My grandmother, I was one of the first grandchildren. And so they, everybody tells me I was spoiled. And so, and I don't believe that, don't believe that, okay? So anyway, when you get your last child, and you pretty much know that's the, the last child, uh, that one sometimes becomes the apple of God, the apple of the, the parent's eye, especially dad. And so for us, having girls and such, I understand this. Well, this is God's children. This is God's people. This is God's nation. And this is the city of David. And God has a special place in his heart. And we're not to come against it. I don't care what man tells you. What does the word of God have to say? Who are we to tell God? We want you to divide Jerusalem. We want you to make a Palestinian state. We want you to cut up Jerusalem. Jeremiah is going to deal with this exactly. And so let me read to you Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. The Holy Spirit has Zechariah the prophet, the prophet of God at this time. He's a minor prophet, and he has him to write about the apple of God's eye. In Zechariah 2, 8, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after his glory had sent me, speaking of the messenger, which is Zechariah, uh, to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple and the translation or the pupil of his eye. And so the apple of God's eye is Jerusalem. I've had the privilege to be there. Some of you have had the privilege to be there. There's such a it's an awesome experience to be there as a believer. 36 plus years ago, I could care less about Israel. 36 Plus years ago, I could care less about the Jew. I had no desire to go to the Middle East. I mean, I knew about Jerusalem, but why would I want to go there? I come to Saving Grace, and I thank God for our teachers that were constantly uh, putting in our hearts uh, the scriptures concerning the love and the compassion and the grace towards Israel. In fact, we know that uh, the promise, the covenant that was given uh, to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those that bless you, Abraham, and, and I will curse those that curse you. 
You look at our United States of America, we are starting to go the other way. We are neglecting and having nothing to do with God's people and God's nation. We want to divide it up. So what? Let it happen. It's none of my business. I live here. I'm a believer in Christ. I better care. God says that Jerusalem is the apple of his eye. Let me give you three more scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. In Psalm 7, verse 2. In Psalm 17, verse 8. All of these describe Jerusalem as the apple of God's eye. And I want you to think of God looking at Jerusalem and there's that twinkle in his eye. Because that's his. And how dare we give it away? Most of us here in the Southwest have heard this phrase, don't mess with Texas. And we're accustomed to that. Well, I'm going to share this from my heart. Don't mess with Israel. And don't mess with Jerusalem. And don't mess with God's people. Or we're going to find ourselves in a heap of trouble. The Lord's been putting on my heart, Zechariah. Zechariah is called one of the minor prophets of God. And the reason, it's a smaller book, it's a concise book. But the major prophets, uh, we understand uh, the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Daniel. But all the other prophets are considered the minor prophets. When you study them, you come to this conclusion. Major prophets have more chapters. Minor prophets have less chapters. But here's the key. They're more concise, yes. Yet the message of the major prophets and the minor prophets is just as intent from God. It is so important to understand that. So when we look at Jeremiah, excuse me, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we see prophecies. And I just wanted to look at Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14 in the next three weeks. The theme of those three chapters is Israel's future. Be very understanding with that phrase. Israel's future. God is not finished with the nation of Israel by any account. There are those that practice, and I'm talking about the church, uh, replacement theology. I, I, I cringe at that particular statement, that so-called doctrine. How can you replace? And that's what they're doing. God is finished with Israel, and now he's given it over to the Gentiles. That's not what my scriptures teach. And Jeremiah makes it very, very clear. Again, Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. Replacement theology is not of God, it's of man. In fact, if you look at the Gentile nations, we're a blessed nation. We're beyond blessing, and yet we're going to lose that blessing if we keep in the path that we're on. According to uh, the book of Romans in chapter 11, uh, we become the grafted-in branch. We're part of Israel if you're part of the body of Christ. And I believe strongly that we need to support the nation of Israel. Now, I understand because I, I get a lot of emails, and I read a lot of texts and, and such, and there's a lot of chatter right now of what's going to take place this coming September, just a few months away, of 2015. It's believed that we are in a jubilee year, and uh, God is going to bring that to pass, and so we're going to just leave that alone. Let God do what he's going to do. But let me give you some background. September the 14th, Rosh Hashanah is going to fall into place. In September the 23rd, uh, Yom Kippur is going to fall into place. September the 28th is going to be a Sukkot. And so these are feast days that are very important to the nation of Israel. And then we're hearing all this chatter about the blood moons. And I'm not against the blood moons. They're significant. But to think that everything's going to change come September, I, I really truly believe things could happen, yes. But I think God's going to just leave it alone. And then we're going to wait for somebody to storm up again and say, okay, this and this and that. Now, if the rapture of the church comes in September, praise God. 
Praise God. And if you put your $400 deposit for Israel, you come back and get it if you want. But I'll go in the rapture of the church. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, people get so caught up into everything. I believe in prophecy. And I acknowledge prophecy. And I believe prophecy will come to pass. But not in my time, not in your time. It comes in God's time. Zechariah makes it very, very clear. The author of Zechariah, I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Zechariah is writing, obviously, listen to this, about 520 B.C., before Christ. So you add 2,000 years of that for us, it's 2,520 years ago. Now, the type of, of book, the book of Zechariah, is very prophetic, even though uh, it's considered a minor prophet. It's a book of prophecy, listen to this, on the end times. Here's the theme of the book of Zechariah itself. The focus on eternity. That's very important. Again, making reference, what's going to happen in September? Maybe something, maybe nothing. But I'm not concerned about September. I'm concerned about eternity. I hope and pray that you're concerned about eternity. And that's the whole focus that the church should have. Now, there are two prophets that were working together at this time. And so I want to give you a little more background into Zechariah first, and then we're going to talk about Haggai. Zechariah has the clearest insight concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. More than any other, other minor prophet combined. He prophesied, now here's importance, of both the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. That is, Jesus' bodily return to earth, not the rapture of the church. I believe that'll be seven years prior. But at the end of the seven years of tribulation, in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble. This period of Zachar that Zechariah has been a, a time of intense dealing of the Lord with his people, Israel. They were discouraged and demoralized. The task of rebuilding the temple of the Lord seemed more than what they could do. Listen to this, on their own energies. Now, as I give you that statement, it reminds me of our current situation of the United States of America. Right now, everybody is looking for a man to make changes in our government, to make changes in our United States of America. We're looking at a party be it what party you're, you're affiliated to. And so we look to changes for man. And many people are, are looking at this next president of the United States of America. That's all we're hearing right now about all the candidates. And I believe we need to know and we need to understand. But we shouldn't be looking for the next president. We shouldn't be looking for what the UN is going to do or not do. We should be not looking, you know, at the Democrat or the Republican or, or the Independent. We should be looking to God. We should be, if we're a people of God, we need to be looking to God. We need to be waiting upon him. And so Zechariah, at this time in history, the prophet Haggai had explained to Israel, in the prior book to Zechariah, their hard times in Israel were the results in placing God second. That's what's happening, I believe, to our United States of America. I want you to listen to this passage in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. Haggai had the task of rebuilding the temple after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Cyrus, the king of Persia, which is Iran, gives Zerubbabel 50,000 Jews to go back. Zerubbabel is the leader of the tribe of Judah to go back and to, to rebuild God's temple. Notice that Haggai the prophet, he warns. And the warning that was given then is a warning today, I believe strongly. Let me read it to you. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much, Haggai said. And you bring in little. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with the drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, listen to this, 
earns wages to put into a bag with a hole. I'll tell you, when I read that passage years ago, I thought about the United States, but now more intense, the things that are happening, that were happening in the time of Haggai, that happened in the time of Zechariah, how much more today? We have everything. In the first service we were speaking about, we get up in the morning, the alarm goes off or the alarm doesn't go off. For me on Sunday mornings, I, I kind of anticipating all night to wake up because I don't want to be late. I got to get up. I got to look at my study again. I got to pray and do all these things. And we just take things for granted. Our room is dark. And, and if I get up without the alarm, I know it's, it's close to the time. And so I go in a, into the bathroom and flick on the light. And finally there's light. I take light for granted. I turn on the water. I take the water for granted. Jump in the shower. and I mean, we have all these comforts of home. How many of you still have an outhouse? None of you. We take things for granted. We are a blessed people. We are a blessed nation. You get up and you, you've got your clothing on. You get up and you have your checkbook. And so many times there's a hole in the bottom. This was happening in the time of Haggai. Now, Zechariah picks up the same theme of Haggai as the people renew their efforts to rebuild the house of God. Both Haggai and Zechariah encourage the people to keep up the good work and to finish the temple of God. There's two keys to these prophets at this time. Listen to this. Haggai was work-oriented because that's what God called him to be. Build the temple. Finish the temple. Zechariah was heaven-oriented. Heaven-oriented. Fix your eyes on heaven, for it's God's house. It's God's house. The warning. Don't be so earthly-minded and forget you're going to be glory-bound one day. When you study the epistles of Peter, Peter warned that we're just sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're just passing through. He uses the example of the body as a tent. This flesh body is temporal. We use it for a season. One day this tent, this body, this flesh is going to collapse. We're here on this earth. For 60, 80, 100 years, maybe more. Some less, we understand that. Unless the rapture of the church comes, praise God, we won't have to die. This past week here in the fellowship, a family that comes usually the first service, the children, their dad, Rob, had been very ill. This man's 58, 60 years old. Still a young man. Had a long life ahead of him. And we get called to the hospital. I sent a couple of guys different times to go pray for him. And he liked one of the brothers that went here from the fellowship. And they became friends. And he started sharing with him. And he says, I'm afraid. He led him to the Lord. He received Christ. Uh, there was an obvious experience there. Something took place. Well, that was about a month ago. We got word yesterday he passed away. He passed away. And we're encouraging the kids right now. Uh, listen, your dad didn't know the Lord, but he, did, he does now. He takes his last breath on earth. He takes the next breath in heaven. Paul reminds the church at, at Corinth, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Haggai was all about... Building the temple. Work, work, work. And that's good. That's what God called him to be. But Zechariah was all about the coming of the Lord. It was all about his, his mind, his, his, his everything was glory bound. Looking for God. And so those that want to put Israel in replacement theology... 
They're totally wrong. All you got to do is look at the scripture. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And again, going back, everybody wants to divide Israel. Everybody wants to change their, their statehood and such. And wait a minute. Doesn't it belong to God? Isn't May 14th, 1948 significant? Israel becomes a nation after the dispersion of 70 AD? Who are we to think we can divide Jerusalem? Who are we that we can think to divide Israel? It's God's property. Now, praise God, wherever you live, your house, your trailer, your apartment. And so somebody knocks on your door, hey, I used to live here. You need to get out. Really? Those are fighting words, right? Well, think about the nation of Israel. And so this is where Zechariah is at. And, and I love what he's doing here as the Spirit of God speaks to him. In Zechariah chapter 12, we want to begin now, verse 1. And I like the caption in my Bible, the coming deliverance of Judah. In other words, God's not finished with her. In verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus saith the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. God lets it be known here in this verse. No matter what Israel goes through, listen, no matter what you, the church, go through, God is in charge. He is the creator of all things. He explains that here in verse 1. The word burden. Listen to the word burden here in the Hebrew. It means a tribute to. It means utterances to. But I like this translation because of what we're talking about. Prophecy too. So the warning or the fate of Israel or God's word to his people. He who stretched out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth, who formed the human spirit in man. So Zechariah through the spirit of God takes us back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The creation of God. Now, God always was. But they're the creation, which we are a part of. He says, I'm in charge. I'm in control. In verse 2, he continues, Behold, I will make Jerusalem. Now, this is what's happening right now in our own history. I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people. I want you to think of the hatred. The animosity, how people just are, the bordering cities, the bordering nations of Israel, there's such a hatred towards them. When they lay siege, listen, these surrounding nations, when they lay siege against Judah, it's rhetorical. And when they lay siege against Jerusalem, I love this verse. It explains it all. I want you to think of a drunkard. I want you to think of someone intoxicated. And so those that prey on stealing, robbing, destroying, they look for avenues like this. Now, there's a drunk person I can take advantage of. We see it all the time, especially our elderly. We see little clips of these things. How can you go up just because you're standing behind them at an ATM and you see them taking money out because of their age and because they have a cane? You're going to take advantage? There's people that do that. And so God is going to prepare Israel as drunkenness. God says, I'm about to make Jerusalem an intoxicating drink to all the people around about when they siege against Judah and when they siege against Jerusalem. According to Ezekiel chapter 38, God's going to draw them in. He will, go, he will draw them into the battle and then he's going to take them out. Who are the surrounding nations of Israel? All we have to do is look at the map. We see Egypt. We see Syria. We see Iran. We see Jordan. We see Turkey. And then what about Libya? According to Ezekiel 38, what about Ethiopia? What about Germany? What about Russia? Those that come against God, God will oppose. Because they're coming against God's people. They're coming against Israel. They're coming against the apple of God's eye. And right now, these surrounding nations, listen to me, these surrounding nations, they're ripe. They're ready to pounce on Israel at any time. 
At any time, this could happen. Our place is to pray. Now, God is not finished. Listen to Zechariah's prophecies. Let's go to verse 3 now. And it shall happen on that day. Keep that reference as we go through the rest of the chapter. In that day, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the people. All who would leave, heave it away, will surely be cut in pieces. That's a promise, church. You mess with Israel, and God is going to cut you in pieces. Though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. I mean, the numbers are staggering. Israel doesn't have a chance. But remember, Israel is the apple of God's eye. The nation, the people, and Jerusalem especially. God says in that day, speaking of verse 2, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. What is a burdensome stone? It's a heavy stone to all who try to lift or burden themselves with Israel. They shall be cut to pieces, utter destruction. Yet all the nations of the earth shall come and gather together against her. I believe those plans are being prepared today, if not already on paper. You see, today, men's hearts are evil. All we have to do is look at the news. We see the destruction constantly. And the talks constantly. And and no matter what uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu says or does, he's wrong. That's constantly what we hear. He's trying to defend his own country. Come on. And we are trying to destroy it. Why? This is man today. Some of you know this author, David Hunt. He's passed away, gone home to be with the Lord. But listen how he describes verses 2 and 3 here. David Hunt says, Consider how remarkable even this one prophecy is. Who could have imagined when the Old Testament was written that all the nations of the world would be involved in deciding the fate of Israel? Good point. And this involvement of all nations dividing Israel has occurred exactly as prophesied and is still in the process of being implemented today. Little did David Hunt know that we are right in the midst of it now. What is the big push today? Let's divide Jerusalem. Let's make a Palestinian state. Wait a minute. Have you dealt with God yet? Have you asked God's permission? Now we need to divide this. It has to be done. I'm afraid people want too many feathers in their own cap. Look what I've done. Did we forget the promise that was given to Abraham? In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, Abraham, but I will curse those that curse you. Church, we have to be very careful as a people when we come against God's people. Well, I hate what's going on in Israel. I hate what's going on in Jerusalem. They should divide it. They should give it away. Have you asked God? Have you seen the prophecies of the Old Testament? What about what the New Testament says? God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And look at verse 4 now. In that day, and again, we're making references to verses 2 and 3 now, the prophecy. In that day, saith the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion, its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah, and I will strike every horse uh, of the peoples with blindness. This is a radical statement. Radical statement. Have we studied? The book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, I truly believe this is soon to play out. This is soon to play out, listen to me, in our time. When these nations come against Israel, God will intervene. The nations that surround Israel, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, God is going to intervene. Listen. 
Physically, he will intervene. Uh, supernaturally, he will intervene. Miraculously, he will intervene. Complete victory for Israel. What did we just read in verse 3? God says, I will cut them to pieces. I, I take that very serious. But naturally, those surrounding nations, they could care less. They, they see little Israel, we're going to take her out. Don't be so sure. It's not the size of Israel. It's the size of their God. That's who they're going to deal with. Look at verse 5 now. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. There's going to be a great awakening in the nation of Israel. God is not finished with them. In verse 5, in that day again, making reference to the prophecy in Zechariah, God will deliver Israel not only through his direct work, his hand of grace and mercy, he will also bless and empower both the governors and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. How is that going to happen? Look, at we're going to read the next verse. And we say, that's impossible. Look at, look at Israel's like this and all these other nations all around it. Is anything impossible with God? I want you to study this when you get home in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, is anything impossible with God? With God, all things are possible. I'm going to use myself as an example 30 plus, 36 plus years ago. Who would ever dream that I would have come to saving grace? Some of my family members said, it's impossible. Bob will never get saved. A preacher? Impossible. Is anything impossible with God? Look at you. Look at you. Some of you are here in church this morning, and you, some people say, he's going to go to church. She's going to go to church? Impossible. See, that's finite man. That's how we think. But with God, all things are possible. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Look at verse 6. In that day, again, the reference back and forth, I will make the governors of Judah, and he takes it further now, speaking about their power, a fire pan in the woodpile, and like a fiery a torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding people on the right hand and on the left hand, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. Jerusalem. I was thinking of this word, a fire pan. Uh, what's going on in the northern part of, our, uh, of, of California, up Idaho? And, and then you have Oregon. And we've been getting some emails from some friends of ours in, in Washington. They're on fire. And I mean, the fires are just moving rapidly. This is the plan when they come against Israel. Look at verse 6 again. Fire pan, they will be like a big blazing pot among sticks of wood and like a flaming torch among the sheaves of grain. And they shall devour all the people round about them. Those on the right hand, these are the borders of Israel. And those on the left hand, Jerusalem shall yet again dwell and sit securely in their own place with others of Jerusalem. Listen, victory in Christ Jesus. How's this going to take place, Pastor Bob? They will be supernaturally empowered by God to defend the city. If you study the history of Israel, Israel, when they're right with God, they become warriors for God. They become a military machine for God. There's no fear in Israel. When they know God is with them, when they're in sin, God will judge them through their enemies. But I love these passages. Look at verse 7 now. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first. So that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. A very important verse here. Because man has a tendency to take the glory or man has a tendency to distribute the glory. And David has always been considered and hailed 
king of Israel. And so always remember, God will share his glory with no one. The Jews would honor David. And so Zechariah pins, God will begin by restoring the common household. That's the word tense there of Judah so that the glory of David's family and the leaders in Jerusalem won't overshadow the ordinary people in Judah. In turn, they would glorify God, not David. They would glorify God, not David. Those of you that are coming on Wednesday nights, we're, we're going through uh, 1 Samuel, and then eventually we'll get into 2 Samuel. And we know that uh, the people come uh, to Samuel, and they say, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel says to them, God is your king. They said, we want a king like the other nations. Uh, he's going to tax you. That's okay. He's going to take your, your daughters, and he's going to make them servants. He's going to make them mistresses to you. And, and I mean, just the list goes on and on. He's going to take your, your men servant. He's going to put him in war. That's okay. We want a king like all the other nations. And so they got Saul. And Saul was a good king for a time. And then Saul became disobedient to the Lord. And the kingdom was taken from Saul. And the kingdom was given to David, a little shepherd boy. But David wasn't ready yet. And so David was there in the house of Saul. And he became second to Saul in a sense. <laughs> he learned the ropes, if you may, of becoming a king. Uh, Saul reigned for 40 years. But we know that David was a man of war. David was a skilled man of war. And when David went to battle, and he was right with God, the nation was right with God, they got the victory. One time David comes in and... They had triumphed over their enemies. And the women were beginning to sing as they were marching in in victory. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens and thousands. Saul didn't like that. He wanted David dead. David used to play the, the lyre, a type of uh, instrument, it was strings on it, and just kind of soothe Saul out. But then after he would finish the song, here comes a javelin that was thrown by Saul to David. And David loved his king. And so I want you to think, this is why God is doing this exactly. He will give his glory to no one, including King David. And David knew that. Look at verse 8. Let's go back to our text now. In that day, so the reference keeps going back. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble or weak among them in that day shall be like David. They're going to be strengthened from on high. And the house of David shall be like God. Be careful with that translation. Like the angel of the Lord before them. And so Zechariah prophesies of the power to come upon Israel in the day as a fighting force of Israel, as a fighting machine of Israel. Uh, for Israel, I like what it says here. The least or the weakest of them would fight like David and the household of David. These would be like God, small g. They would fight like the angel of the Lord before them because of the power of God in them. Don't take from this passage that they wanted to become like God. To be God. You see, we are Christian. The word Christian is what? To be Christ-likeness. I want to be more like Jesus. I'll never be Jesus. I don't want to be Jesus. But I want to be like him. I want to have compassion like him. I want to see with the eyes of Christ. I want to pray with people and to have faith like Jesus had. That's what it's saying here. And that God was going to empower them. Again, supernaturally empower them from on high. Look at verse 9. And it shall be in that day, again the reference back to the prophecy. And that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. What a prophetic word from Zechariah. On that day, God will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. 
there's concerns, deep concerns in Israel. And a lot of times when I go through things, when you go through things, there's deep concerns. I want you to write these two passages down. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and verse 32. Listen to what Paul writes. What then shall we say to these things? Whatever you're going through. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for Israel, who can be against her? If God is for you, who can be against you? The Old Testament passage, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. As everybody likes to say, do you have my back? I like to say the opposite. God has my back. God has Israel's back. God has your back. In verse 32, after he says, if God for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross. Paul's talking about Christ. Being buried. On the third day, he rose again. The grave could not hold him. And if Jesus rose again from the dead, guess what? We're going to rise again from the dead. Again, going back to Peter, this is a tent. This is temporal. I'm here for a season. You're here for a season. And I hope and pray that the rapture of the church comes. But if not, we will all succumb. Now we come to the last portion here of Zechariah chapter 12, and we begin here in verse 10, and I like what the caption of my Bible says, if you have a study Bible, mourning for the pierced one. Now, here's an interesting fact. Zechariah is writing this 500 years before crucifixion took place. How prophetic is that? And everybody knows about the pierced one. Remember Thomas? I can't believe it. In John chapter 20, I can't believe that he's here unless I touch the nail prints in his hand. When Jesus goes, Thomas, my hands and my feet, Thomas fell. And he said, my Lord and my God. We're having reports today. In third world countries, we're having reports of Muslims that are in the internet. And they're looking at gospel. They're seeking. And they're making simple prayers maybe. They're inquiring, and they're having visions. They're having visions of Christ. And in some cases, they've asked in the vision, who are you? I am Jesus of Nazareth. And the Arabs know, the Muslims know, show me the nail prints. How do they know these things? They show them. Many are coming to Christ. Many of the refugees are coming to Christ, and we need to pray. Listen to verse 10 now. Mourning for the pierced one. And I will pour out in the house of David and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to this. The spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me. Look, Notice capitalization. Whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. Very important prophecies here now. The prophecy of Zechariah, when it is all said and done, at the end of Jacob's trouble, the end of the great tribulation, the end of the 70th week of Daniel, Jesus will descend on the Mount of Olives. He'll go through the Golden Gate or the Gate Beautiful. He will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. We'll study that in Zechariah 14.4. And then we know, according to Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 7, every eye shall see him. Speaking about the pierced one. <laughs> every eye shall see him. Uh, for centuries, those scriptures were baffling. How's that going to take place? Well, it can happen supernaturally. But in our technology today, we have newscasts. All over the world, it can be seen instantly. Turn on CNN, you turn on Fox, ABC, NBC, Al Jazeera, you even have the Arab station. Every eye shall see him, the pierced one. 
He takes it further because there's going to be a great revival at the end of the tribulation, I believe. And many of them will be Jews. Gentiles will be there too. Look at verse 11. And in that day, again, making that reference, there shall be a great morning in Jerusalem, like the morning uh, at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. He's given a great reference here. There will be a great morning in that final day of judgment, as in the day of King Josiah. That's what it's speaking of here was at the battle of Hadad Ramon in the plains of Megiddo. You can study that in 2 Kings chapter 23. King Josiah was considered the boy king, and he was much loved by the nation of Israel. He was a good king. And when he died, they wept bitterly. They wept bitterly. When the Jews finally see the pierced one, when the Jews finally see that the Messiah is Christ, they're going to mourn. They're going to weep. They're going to wail. They're going to cry out to him. There's going to be a great revival. Look at verse 12. And, then, and the land shall mourn. Listen. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. So all Israel will mourn, each clan by itself. That's what he's describing here. The husband separate from the wives. The clan of David will mourn alone, as well as the clan of Nathan. Verse 13, similar. And the family of the house of Levi by itself. And their wives by themselves. And the family of Shimei, uh, or Shimei by itself. And their wives by themselves. The clan of Levi and the clan of Shimei. That's who they're speaking of here in verse 13. In verse 14 now, it brings it all together. And all the families that remain, every family by itself. And their wives by themselves. Each of them. They're going to be a, a great lamentation. But it's lamentation of repentance, lamentation of coming to salvation. These are those in Revelation 13, they didn't receive the mark of the beast. And they survive at this point of the tribulation. But there's going to be a lot of carnage. There's going to be plenty of them that did not make it. But those that did, the surviving clans from Judah, according to verse 14, they're going to, uh, they're going to mourn separately and with their husbands separate from their wives. Uh, listen to one of my commentaries. Here, these last three verses indicate there will be both a great individual repentance and a great corporate repentance. It seems fantastic to us that Israel as a whole would turn to Jesus and repent uh, of their sins of rejecting their Savior. It is so amazing that we would not believe it. Listen to this. Unless the Bible so clearly teaches it. Such as we read here in Zechariah chapter 12. Please do not disregard the nation of Israel. I want you to study these when you get time. Uh, the book of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And again, bringing it back to what we said earlier. Be careful. Uh, the, those that teach replacement theology, that God has replaced Israel with the Gentiles. Not so. I believe strongly that the seven years of tribulation is the purpose of, uh, of wooing back the nation of Israel to God, and they will know that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Messiah. According to Romans chapter 11, verse 17, the Gentiles are the grafted-in branch. Not finished with Israel, he's not finished with us. But for us to replace Israel is sin. Israel is the apple of God's eye. The nation of Israel, the Jews, Jerusalem, the apple of God's eye. Now, you've been a Christian long enough, you know this man, Charles Spurgeon, great theologian, 1800s. And the United Kingdom, listen to what he says about these passages in Zechariah. We know of a surety 
Because God has said it, that the Jews will be restored to their own land and that they shall inherit the godly country which the Lord has given unto their fathers by a covenant of salt forever. But better still, they shall be converted to the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and shall see in him the house of David restored to the throne of Israel. Church, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. It's interesting that in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army came in, destroyed Jerusalem, and the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth. It wasn't until the late 1800s and the early 1900s, it's called the Zionist movement. God put it in the hearts of the Jews, and they began to trickle back in to Israel. And they bought back the land from the Arabs at a song. You see, Israel was destitute. It was empty. It was shallow. It was swamplands. And God said, buy it back. And God began to restore it. According to Ezekiel, the prophecy, the bones would come back to life. And they would also blossom. And they have. Israel has blossomed. Uh, all the eucalyptus trees that were planted sucked up all the waters. You go to Israel today and, and their agriculture is number one. They're the best. They grow their vegetables. They grow their fruits. Uh, they grow their flowers. I'm reminded of two military guys when they retired and they went and got parcels of land in the Dead Sea area and they planted grapevines and they told them they were crazy. And God gave them a vision of drip irrigation that's still successful today. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. After the Zionist movement, May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. How dare we, as a nation, as a human being, as a man, think we can govern God's people, God's nation? The apple of his eye, Jerusalem, ah, oh, let's just cut it up. No. No. When we first went into uh, the old city of Jerusalem, and right away the, the guides tell you, look at the bullet holes. This is from the 67 war. There's just something about it, church. Like I said, I never really had a love and a compassion but I came to Saving Grace. I thank the Lord for my pastor teachers that instilled in us. Pastor Chuck loved Israel. And he supported Israel 110%. Please do not give up on Israel. If you're a Christian, you're a believer in Christ. God is not going to replace her with the Gentiles. We're the grafted in branch. We're a blessed people. But God is not finished with Israel. 